Gordon Hinckley was uh, an associate of the hunters and he was involved in heterosexual and homosexual love affairs at the home on Lakeline Drive as well as the car lot, an apartment above the car lot on South Main. There's a car lot at 8 South Main in Salt Lake City owned by Alvin and Walter Hunter. This car lot was managed and run by a friend of mine. His name is Charles Van Dam. I was raised up in a good Mormon family, good God-fearing Mormon family. And uh, my grandfather was a judge in Utah. And my grandmother's brother was president of the Mormon Church, George Albert Smith. Okay, I worked at the car lot. I kept the cars clean and running. Plus, at night, I used to go out and do collection work. I walked in the car lot several times. Mr. Hinckley and Alvin and Walton were in the office. So, and I was introduced by Mr. Van Dam to Gordon Hinckley, and both to Alvin and Walton. Gordon Hinckley and Walton Hunter were very good friends. It was my understanding that he was the one that uh, uh, provided Walton Hunter with his bishopship, and. Uh, he used to come around a lot, and uh, him and Walton used to go off places sometimes. They were just typical used car dealers. They, they uh, back in those days, they used to retread tires that were worn out, and uh, turn speed armors back, and and uh, and. Uh, but back then, I don't even think it was illegal to turn speed armors back because this is 25 years ago, and uh, 25, 28 years ago, very early 60s, and uh, and you know basically. You know, they, 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 they doped up engines and stuff like that. They didn't do nothing no different than most used car dealers do. These people, these hunter fellows, were supposed to be good Mormons. I understood they were. Uh, but since then, I've, I have a different opinion. Uh, they built a apartment above the car lot, which they held parties at. They had both men and women and drinking and carrying on up there most all the time. Well, I'd gone up there, yeah, and I had seen women go up and down there. You know, when I have been downstairs talking, you know, to Walt, they would be a bunch of them going up and down the stairs. I mean, they were all different kinds. I mean, I've seen blacks, I've seen Spanish girls, I've seen white girls go up there and and Walt would say, oh, they're going up there to party again, you know. Well, on numerous occasions at the car lot where they had built this apartment above the office, I did see Alvin, Walter, and Gordon Hinckley go up to the apartment with both prostitutes, I would guess they were prostitutes, and young boys. I had occasion to 
meet Gordon Hinckley on the Hunter Motor Company lot that I was managing. And we became financially involved in a house at 2213 Lake Line Drive. We bought the house for a party pad. <clears throat> and Gordon Hinckley and Walton Hunter and Elvin Hunter came up there all the time. And I had to arrange women for them. I had to arrange booze for them. I had to arrange everything for them for the house. The part was a party pad. Where we used to party up at Chuck's house on Lake Line Drive. It was really a nice house. It was a big place and had a lot of bedrooms. And, and I mean, it was really a nice house. I'd had four or five bedrooms, three-story job, beautiful home. We used to go up there all the time. They said, well, let's go buy a house. We can get you the financing, and we can get you the money and everything else. So they said, we want a fancy house now. So I went out looking for this thing, and I found one at 2213 Lake Line Drive. And it was like $175,000 back then. And that was a long time ago. So we bought the house, <clears throat> and I furnished it. It had five bedrooms. At that time, his home always had a bunch of people there. The Hunters, Mr. Hinckley. My brothers were up there sometimes. Uh, friends of Chuck's were there. Uh, women. We went up to a party, and it, this is where we went up to Chuck's one time. And uh, golly, there were so many people at this party. I mean, a lot of people. And there was a lot of girls, a lot of guys. And, and I remember him hearing him saying about Colonist Gordon Hinckley. I was introduced to him one time up there. But these parties were frequented all the time by the hunters and Mr. Hinckley and some of the higher church officials. And they weren't there to play poker. I uh, took a lot of girls to Chuck Van Dam's house, which was a very nice home uh, in the Indian Hills neighborhood, uh, which is on the side of the mountain on the east side of Salt Lake. And uh, a lot of people uh, that were supposed to be important people and supposed to be uh, good church-going people and things like that. Some of them were bishops and counselors and various things that, uh, that I actually seen going there or leaving there. Louis Sims was, was uh, my black lot man. And he used to go to Denver with me and buy cars. And, and he was the one that used to go out on West 2nd South and get the, the whores for the parties. A lot of the girls that I have seen at these parties, they, they hired to go up. They were prostitutes. And a lot of them that went to the car lot were, too. At the time, uh, there was a lot of prostitution on 2nd South and uh, between 3rd uh, and 5th West, and, uh, and in other neighborhoods uh, in that area where prostitutes frequently, you know, hung out and what have you. And at the time, I grew up with a lot of the girls, so I knew a lot of them. And uh, 
I'd pick them up there. Friend of Chuck's, Louie, would bring up four or five girls at a time, bring them to the door, and leave them. At the time, Mr. Hinckley and the hunters were there, amongst other people, but they'd drink and dance. And maybe the girls would dance for them, you know, in front of them. Uh, and then they'd gather up a man and go into the bedroom and shut the door. Uh, I don't uh, imagine they were in there other than to get them a piece of tail. Generally, I would bring them three, four, five girls. Did I understand, too, that there were other people that, that did the same thing, you know? Oh, they'd dress with uh, some real tight clothes on, let me tell you. They'd have uh, tight sweaters or, you know, short skirts or dresses on, real sexy looking. And, uh, I mean, they, would, they were there to turn these guys on and off, I guess. Black girls, pretty black girls. Uh, in fact, all of them were young. Uh, very pretty girls, Spanish-Americans, uh, Mexicans, Negroes, uh, white girls, all dressed in the tins, and beautiful girls. Basically, most of the girls they requested me to bring to them were black girls. And most of them were tall and kind of linky, you know, tight, and good-looking. Everybody just drinking, having a good time. But a lot of women were up there. I mean, a lot of women. And uh, Mr. Hinckley and, and all of them were sitting there. And I remember one night when I was there, he was sitting there and he was really getting loose, you know. And he had his arm around this one girl. And, and pretty soon, I seen everybody just taking off, going this way and that way to different rooms. Well, we'd drink, heavy drinking, and everybody'd get to kind of giggling and laughing like any normal party, a bunch of people together, everybody raising hell. Gordon Hinckley used to drink Boilermakers, beer with straight shots of booze in it, wild turkey or old turkey or something like that. Well, some of the girls, would start like doing strip tease up in there, you know, taking their clothes off and dancing around Hinkley, you know, and I mean, I just couldn't believe a lot, a lot that went on up there. When Hinkley was dancing with this one girl, uh, she, she started taking, you know, her blouse off and unbuttoned his shirt and, and he took his shirt off and they start dancing together. And I mean, it was kind of a dirty dancing they were doing together, you know, rubbing themselves with each other. And and she says, "Oh my God, you got your uh, oh what?" You, she says, "You got your uh, silk garments on." She says, "We're gonna have to throw those off." And she'd say, "Oh baby, you know," and this and that, and grab him, you know. One time she grabbed him right by the. Oh, golly. And so uh, there they go off to the room again, you know. It was every time they were off to the bedroom. 
after they go with one one person, you know, like say one of the guys take one girl in there and then they come back out and they'd switch with with another one and take her in there, you know. That's what was going on over there, see. And uh, I know I was approached a few times if I wanted to go and I'd say no. These parties are something else. And these people that are supposed to be good LDS, the hunters were and so was Mr. Hinckley, supposedly. And my feeling on that is uh, how can you condemn somebody for doing a lot less than you're doing when you're trying to follow the religion. One night at, at one of the parties that I had gone to, Mr. Hinckley was there and I was sitting next by him and, and he, we were talking and he asked me if I would like to go into one of the bedrooms with him and I told him, no thank you. I was personally involved with the Apostle Gordon Hinckley sexually. I didn't know, but I found out later that Mr. Van Dam was a ACDC. <laughs> uh, in other words, he liked boys and he liked women. He wasn't one of these what you'd call a wham-bam-thank-you-ma'am type. In other words, he wanted to drag it out and enjoy it. Then when he was through with you, he dismissed you and you were gone right then. And then he'd change his ways. He'd get just as arrogant as he could get. You'd speak to him and he'd been in your house the night before having a sexual orgy. And you'd speak to him and the next day you might run into him and he'd just ignore you and walk right on past you like you weren't there. He said that him and Gordon B. Hinckley got it on. And I believe Charles Van Dam. I really do. When he didn't want a big party, he'd just come up to the house and he and I would do it. And I knew him business-wise and I knew him sexually-wise or sexual, I don't know how to say what I want to say, but sexually we had a thing going and it was discreet on my part. If Chuck Van Dam would tell me that he was having a sexual relationship with Gordon B. Hinckley, I would believe it. He liked to have oral sex, both giving and receiving. And he liked to have anal inter intercourse with certain feminine-looking boys. Youngsters, I'm talking about 15, 16 years old. Just little youngsters, babies. Well, there was a couple of young boys at a party one night when I was there. And I'd say they were around 15 or 16 that uh, I seen them talking with Hinckley and they went off to a bedroom together. Hinckley and the boys, the two boys, in fact, went off to the bedroom together. And they were in there for quite a while. Chuck invited me to his house, so we went up there. Got out of the car, shut the doors and walked in the house. Wasn't a soul in sight. 
but the bedroom doors were all locked. He was going up the stairs, and as he'd go up a flight, his head would get redder, and his cheeks were flesh white. God, he was mad. And all of a sudden, he come down those stairs. Somebody evidently was in his, the master bedroom. And he slammed the door and come out of that house, down those stairs, picked up the coffee table, and this home had from floor to ceiling windows. Pitched the coffee table out. <laughs> the second story window, the television went out with it, and he was screaming and carried on so loud. I wasn't living in a house, I was living in a zoo. And I got tired of living in a zoo. Even the monkey gets tired of being a monkey. You get tired of that shit. Down at the lot, I had to eat, sleep, drink, and drive, and everything else. I worked 18, 20 hours a day. And then I'd come home and think, oh, God, it'll be nice to kick back in a hot, soaked tub and find a bed and go to sleep. And you'd walk in, and there was all kinds of goddamn whores and sluts and gay people and everybody else running through my house rampantly. I threw me one of my Van Damme fits, and by God, they're not too nice. When Chuck threw the uh, television and the coffee table out the window, it fell on a Pontiac convertible, went right through the top. People were coming out of the bedrooms trying to put on their clothes over their garments, uh, at which Gordon B. Hinckley came down the stairs. I think a redhead was with him. Drop kicked the TV through the window into through the convertible top of a Pontiac Bonneville and they were all running up the street putting their pants on, <clears throat> trying to get the hell away from there. So that's uh, about as good as I can say, except that Gordon B. Hinckley and the hunters were right there amongst them, and Gordon B. Hinckley was trying to put on his trousers too, and uh, I think Mr. Van Dam scared them all to death. Well, I knew uh, Hinckley was high in the LDS church, you know, and I know uh, Hunter was high in the church, too, you know, in the Mormon church, and uh, I just couldn't believe Hinckley, you know, when I seen it with my own eyes, you know, these LDS people, especially Hinckley, I mean, drinking and carrying on like he was doing. I, I had heard about these LDS people, but when I seen him, Mr. Hinckley, it really shocked me to see what Mr. Hinckley could do. But I'm sure Mr. Van Dam will, will tell you about the same thing, about what went on in his home and above the car lot. And these things are fact. They're not put up. They're not fiction. I moved to Denver, and I opened up a couple of bars, <coughs> and they were gay bars. And uh, when I got rolling pretty good, all of a sudden they wanted someplace to launder some money from Zionsford's National Bank. And so they started sending some people over with large cashier's checks drawn on the Zionsford's National Bank. And I would launder them, and they would pay me 10%. There was a time when he was in Colorado, he owned two gay bars. And that 
they had taken some cashier's checks from the Zion Bank here in Salt Lake City to Denver, and Charles took them into his bank and cashed them. 75,000 bucks at a whack. And I'd go down to the bank and cash the damn thing and stand around there. The FBI had pictures of me cashing the checks, and they had pictures of my Cadillac down in the basement of the bank and everything else. And I'd send the cash back to Utah with these people. And I'd keep 10%. They were checks from the Zion Bank, and the, and, uh, the uh, LDS people own the Zion Bank. They put up the seed money. And they take it back under the table. One, one of the one, one things that you've got to remember is that the Mormon church finances business. They're not there to worship God or anything else. They're there to make money and have sex. I know that the story is true through eight months of investigation. My wife and I have uh, spent untold hours, man hours and dollars investigating this and to finding out the truthfulness of what we believe is the utmost, the highest proportions of uh, hypocrisy that I have ever heard of. I, I think with the leadership of the Mormon Church and six and a quarter million people, that the exposing of this situation uh, would make the Swagger story look like a Sunday school picnic. I think that should be known for the benefit of all LDS people and all church members. He had used me sexually, myself personally, and then excommunicated me on the homosexuality. And he's the one that's excommunicating me, and yet I've had sexual parties with him personally. One of the greatest sins that was in the Bible was about hypocrisy. There are many, many scriptures. It's a sin that God detests. And the reason I'm here is because there's a cover-up going on. People in high levels, namely Gordon Hinckley, who is leading a church based on the fact that it's the only church, true church in the world, and he is a hypocrite. He's leading a lifestyle that's immoral. We just believe that if Gordon B. Hinckley is professing that you should be morally clean so you can sit in judgment upon others, that he should be judged by the same standards he's trying to use. They live a double standard. Their, their leaders are saying one thing and living another lifestyle. They excommunicate bisexuals in the mainline LDS church. Why are the leaders getting away with it? We want to see this exposed because the Bible says that there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. I was baptized Latter-day Saints. And I do not approve of them being able to excommunicate people that aren't doing nearly as bad as they are. That's my feeling on it. They're greedy people. All they care about is what's lying in their pockets. And that's the way Gordon Hinckley is too. He thinks he can hide behind the church. And he can't hide because they're, they're, they're so disgusting. The whole Mormon religion is just a, a damn disgusting mess. It's a cult. It's called first your money and then your clothes, and in that order. And if, as long as you go along with the hierarchy of the church, and you do what you, they want you to do, they'll see to it that you make enough money to live and live halfway decent. <clears throat> and if you'll take the ball and do things extracurricular for them, they'll pay you under the table. Nobody cares if Gordon B. Hinckley had a drink.
That's Gordon's business. Nobody cared if the hunters had a drink. But you can't put down other people because you're in a high position in the church and you're given all this power and you're excommunicating for something you, you do twice as bad. I have heard, you know, about how they would uh, party and go with other women and this and that, you know, some of them. But then when you see it with your own eyes, you know, what they really do, especially high officials like Mr. Hinckley, I says, I can't believe this. Tonight I'm being excommunicated here at the Oak Hills First Ward for telling a story of truth about one of the high-ranking members of the LDS Church, uh, namely Gordon B. Hinckley. I was encouraged by my Mormon friends as into the state presidency, into the bishopric, to pursue the story of truth. I could say this, that, that when somebody starts mouthing off about the church and they tell somebody else that might spread it or hurt the church detrimentally, all of a sudden they disappear or they quieten up. There is nothing within the doctrinal uh, procedures of the church that allows any one member the opportunity to bring an accusation against any of the presidency of the church. But I think that the, the public should be knowledgeable of what the Mormon church actually does and is because they're, they're, they wreck lives. And that's why I'm coming out with this because somewhere along the line, these people are going to realize that I'm telling the truth. And I'll bet you money that when this story hits the air or hits the news media or something, there's going to be hell to pay.